Hello and welcome to Surroundscapes, an audio and video podcast series featuring a diverse collection of interviews with thought leaders from around the world, addressing the general subject of the future of business. This content is curated by Blue Sound Professional and focuses on the role of the oral and visual senses in creating unique, delightful and compelling experiences to stimulate business. This fourth series of Surroundscapes is focused on the future of music, and we're really concentrating on two aspects of this question. The first aspect is new ways of creating and presenting music, and the second aspect is to how to properly monetize and value music in these changing and digital times. So for this episode, I'd like to introduce an old friend of mine, John Cotton, who's the founder of Poseidon. John's talking to us from Portugal, and we'll talk about various aspects of both of these questions. So welcome, John. Hi, Graham. Thanks for having me. Oh, thanks for being here and for your time. So to begin with, can you tell me a bit about Poseidon and what you do and and how you got to to being where you are now? Yeah, sure. Uh, So Poseidon's a Birmingham-based music production company that I founded in 2006. Um, And the intent was to focus talent into one uh, production talent, into under one brand. what we do is split broadly into three categories. We um, produce records and develop artists. We create music for TV and film. And we run a record label, which is primarily for the first part. But as part of that, we uh, developed uh, into a marketing service for other people. Um, so we run a small uh, niche uh, digital marketing agency for the arts uh, as an extension of our record label operation. Um, yeah, what else to say? Uh, <laughs> um, I told you it was short. That's, that's my bullet point. <laughs> okay. okay. Um, so I know there's a, there's a lot of background um, behind that, but, but one artist that you work with and that I'm a great fan of is, is Joe Hamilton. And mm. I know you have a really interesting story about how um, someone like Joe, who's, who's um, somewhat of a niche performer, you, you might say, um, although I wish she was, she was better known, can make a, uh, a living doing what she does and the lessons that you, you've learned along the way. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, I had a, a bit of a breakthrough for me personally, um, producing a guy called Scott Matthews um, with his album Passing Stranger, which won... Uh, the Ivan Novello Award for uh, for a, a track that we created together in uh, back in two thousand and five, I think. Um, mm. And as a result of that, I, I got offered quite a lot of major label production work, and um, like a damn fool, turned it all down because Joe, who I who I'd known on the um, lovely little music scene that was happening in Birmingham, with some great, great talented people all helping each other and recording with each other, um, she played me some. Um, some early bones of what came to become the album gown um and so i said no to the um uh, lucrative gigs in london and, and instead decided to make uh to make a record with her um n- now we had in th- this was uh, kind of simultaneous to setting up poseidon uh, and part of the idea of poseidon was to follow in the footsteps of of motown uh, where um 
you, you have an operation which doesn't require permission from anybody. Um, when you've made enough recordings, uh, you, you get rather tired of the recordings falling off the end of the conveyor belt at the far end and the uh, amateurism sometimes of the music industry, um, just meaning meaning that, um, you know, the major label success rate for artists is one in 10, roughly. Um, so if you're if you're a small independent production company, you only have one artist potentially, right? And, and you're not going to have a one in 10 success rate. It doesn't work that way. So so we have to make sure that things happen and um, and, and, and we can't gamble in that way. Um, so, so I, I wanted to make sure that we had an operation that if we couldn't find the right partners externally, that we could take care of getting the art to the people. Um, I, I see the role, the, the word record producer, the, the, the name, the name, the title record producer has a, um, lots of different definitions. It's very confusing to tell your mum what you do, you know? Um, <laughs> uh, and, and I, I, you know, you, you, um, Obviously, a lot of people who just, you know, put things together in Ableton Live nowadays call themselves producer, and that's fine. It's a different use of it. My use of it comes is, is very old-fashioned. I, I see producers as the people responsible for being the the sandwich between the art and the the commercial world, whether that's a record label, looking at people like George Martin, who worked for EMI uh, as the sandwich to enable the artist to be the artist, but basically be the interface with them. Um, and also the project manager making things happen, and also the problem solver, and that can mean just being a, a project manager. It can mean it can mean um, you know arranging string parts and completely redeveloping the sound or something like Trevor Horn did. Um, so uh, again, part of that role I think is making sure that the record actually reaches people. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't think our responsibility in that old-fashioned use of it. I don't think that responsibility ends at the point when the record's mastered. Um, and, and certainly Motown didn't have that, that view. They, they, you know, they, they took people and they taught them to, to dance and they, and, they, and they got people to write songs for them and they created the compressor in the studio and they drove the vans out with the records because the distribution didn't exist. So they, they got the art to the people and whatever was required, they did. And so, so with, with Poseidon, I kind of had the same idea that we would no longer be frustrated by other people. And, and we'd, we'd have the ability to, to get things out directly. Um, so we had a label, and, and Joe um, was a great fit for for that uh, as a sort of starting point, um, and uh, which was a good job, really, because I, I took her to a couple of people I knew in London, and they didn't get it, which mm-hmm. is always the thing about art. Art is totally subjective, and, you know, uh, I can play... You find a uh, you know somebody who's really into death metal, and you play them some Steely Dan. If they've never heard any before, they'll think it's terrible. You play a Steely Dan and <laughs> some death metal, they'll think it's terrible. You know, it's just yeah. totally subjective. Sure. And anybody tells you otherwise hasn't been around art, the arts long enough. Um, so, so you know, the idea that that an artist that that you'd have, you know, um, individual single people who would be the barrier to an entire artist's profession um, is is an anathema to me. If we, if we if we see that there's talent that really sort of does, yeah, obviously it's subjective to us. But if if we think that it's it deserves to be to reach an audience, and if there clearly is an audience from it from early shows or whatever, um, then you know if it's clearly a, t- a real talent, then it's almost like a I see it like an, an ethical uh, must to to not let the existing system get in the way really mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. so that's the approach we took with joe joe and um uh and and we had a, quite an adventure as a result of it <laughs> do you want to tell us a bit more about you know kind of what that adventure was like 
we going back to Scott's record that was broken through um, through Radio One. Uh, it was picked up as um, a single of the week by one of the DJs there, and was played and played and played and played. And um, and in what I didn't know at the time, we were, we were releasing Gown originally, and uh, Gown was Joe's album when we finished it uh, in about two thousand and nine. Um, we basically followed the template of of how of how Scott's record was released, which was. Um, you know, you, you have this checklist of how do you release a record, right? So you start with radio, you go, okay, and well, Joe's not really Radio 1, she's probably Radio 2 uh, in terms of demographic. She's going to be um, not really appealing so much to the 15-year-olds, more to 30-year-olds, right? So it's mm-hmm. so looking at uh, simple things like that. Um, and then we're looking at um, press, what press would we like? So it's, okay, we want to get a review in the Independent, for example, The Guardian, um, you know, more than, you know, you know a, again, a different demographic would would go for different publications potentially anyway so we started with a conventional campaign with a, a big expensive team um, because when you're talking about going through existing mass media channels the only way to reach those channels is through middlemen um, we call them pluggers mm-hmm. publicists right and they're people who basically have the address book and you'll you they'll pay they'll charge you two or three thousand pounds a month or whatever each uh for access to their particular contacts they can sit down with the guy who produces such and such a show on the radio uh, and so we, we start off with this checklist and we spent the budget um required to, to make that happen for joe because we believed in her and uh, at the end of it and we achieved most of our goals we got her on you know multiple sessions on janice long on radio two and being played on uh on, on sunday morning uh radio two a lot uh, five full star reviews in the national press anyway uh, <clears throat> at the end of this we'd we sold only a handful of records, relatively speaking. And what I didn't know at the time was that in between 2015 and 2019, that four, uh, sorry, 2005, 2009, uh, what I didn't know at the time was that in between 2005 and 2009, a sea change had happened where the, the platform for discovery of music had switched from 7030 radio digital to literally the other way around. Um, and we were talking on the wrong platform basically and, mm-hmm. and, and paying a fortune for it but but this is invisible you know at the time people weren't taking quote digital quote seriously they were it was still the the industry was entirely geared around um broadsheet release uh, windows and radio 2 playlist committee meetings and is robbie williams releasing his new record that week so we can't go to that committee meeting and, and trying to get through the two people who hold the keys to jules holland's later right mm-hmm. um so we played that game and it didn't work because the game had changed, but we didn't know. Um, and so in, in the meantime, um, we discovered uh, by accident, we, we were having this kind of parallel separate path where we were experimenting with things digital and originally just as a crazy little sideline, possibly to get us some extra material for the for the, uh, the kind of mass media team, which, which is where all the strategy was being set. Um, and what we discovered was that uh, our little experiment um, with the air piano, for example, an, an instrument that mm-hmm. Joe found on YouTube, and and we, you know, we followed her to Germany, making a little, a little um, uh, reportage kind of video of of you know following her meeting the inventor, um, with this, this contactless instrument. Um, that that video of that would bring in far more um, record sales than any of this professional team would, um, despite the fact that when we were paying for the plane tickets in the middle of 
winter to go to Berlin and in minus 15 in a snowstorm. Um, I, I, I was thinking, what the hell are we doing? We're just maddened. We should be focusing on the professional stuff. Yet. And yeah, that, ironically, that was the route forward. Um, so we ended up um, discovering that what the industry, quote, were telling us about how you do things is, was not true, simply, or no longer worked. It probably was true, but it, it no longer worked for us, at least. And um, in the spirit of if something isn't working, then madness is keeping doing it. We mm-hmm. decided to change tack. And so we, we, we got rid of the expensive, um, well, we ran out of budget by that point. So we had to get rid of the expensive uh, <laughs> legging VR team um, and, and instead uh, focused entirely on digital. Um, so uh, as a result of that, we, we ended up getting very good at um, uh, Facebook and Instagram mar- uh, marketing and developing a whole bunch of techniques in house, which uh, through which we started to directly sell records and quite a lot of them. Um, and, and that was, you know, the irony is I'm, I'm sitting here in near Lisbon uh, and it was actually about 10 years ago in Porto. The only other time I'd been to, I'd been to Portugal it was, oh, was, was yeah. for, two, for two weeks in Porto. And, uh, and it was there that we first started to sell records through, through, through Facebook advertising. And I remember watching as literally we, pushed up, you know, to use a uh, metaphor, we, we pushed up the, the, the lever of the, um, you know, the kind of afterburner on, on, on our campaign. And the record sales increased in tandem with that. Mm. And I was like, oh my goodness, we can control our record sales. Whereas previously we had no control. We were, you're, you're buying a promise of somebody to have lunch with somebody else, which is madness really in terms of tracking. Mm-hmm. You know, if I say to you, Graham, I'll, I'll charge you 3000 pounds to and I'll have lunch if he's free with my friend, um, mm-hmm. right? I mean, it's not a great kind of sell. You know, you wouldn't go for that in any other field it's, of. It's very old I know, I know. So suddenly we had control, and we and we were able to reach people directly in their houses um, without any of this nonsense in between. Um, and so, that, you know, since then, everything we've been doing has been focused on on that approach. And what ended up happening uh, uh, as a result of that breakthrough was that um, Joe developed audience uh, fans in 23 countries, um, which we built up directly th- uh, using that. Um, she got discovered by Prince, who opened his world tour, uh, his last world tour, um, with with, um, w- with a cover of uh, of Liefach, um, which we only discovered by accident. Um, and uh, and was playing that all over the world, you know, and and she got invited by a team from Weta Digital, Peter Jackson's company, to come and down and make a music video for "Think of Me," one of her songs, um, in New Zealand. So we we spent three months working uh, with that team, who were fresh off the Hobbit, um, and and you know, filming in various locations from Lord of the Rings, which uh, um, which was an incredible adventure that we then played in Singapore and in. Kuala Lumpur, and then we did a mini tour across Canada. All of this came from, this, you know, all over Europe, um, all as a direct result of, of this direct control. And, you know, it's it's also the way, or probably one of the ways that we know you, because, mm-hmm. you know, as a patron, we'd have reached you probably originally digitally. And, right. um, yeah, prob- um, although, yeah, in our case, it was to do with the TED conference. But yeah, yeah, probably. Ah, was that, it started that way. I, I can't remember, in the midst of time. Um, <laughs> So a couple of questions there, hmm. kind of before we move on. 
you you mentioned kind of the old school who you know going to lunch print advertising um the the airwaves radio tv and then Mm. digital um Mm -hmm. do you want to clarify a little bit more for for people what you mean by digital is it social media or is there other aspects to it broadly speaking yeah it's what we call social media but um Mm -hmm. Here's, here's the key thing is that, and and as I'm sure we'll probably go on to a little bit, uh, my philosophy is quite different from m- most musicians uh, in in the sense that, or, you know, if I want to boil down Poseidon's approach to things, it's that yeah. we, run, we run our musicians' careers as if they're businesses, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is okay. a crazy thing to say, but most of the music industry doesn't run as if it's a business. Very mm-hmm. simply, mm-hmm. Um, we don't measure this. You know, they don't measure the same things that any older business, whether it's a corner shop or, or anything else. So, um, so as part of that, if you just forget about the music industry and forget about arts and just think about, okay, if you have any product, anything, anything you want to reach people, right? If you just put it up on Facebook on your page, will it reach people? And the answer is, well, yeah, it'll reach a handful of friends. But if you if you're launching a new carpet store in your town whatever it may be you'd have you'd have a budget right you'd have a budget for marketing because you appreciate that if you that everybody wants to reach everyone's eyeballs and therefore if you want to reach people's eyeballs with a limited attention span and a limited room on 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 facebook pages or on billboards or any medium at all then there's a cost to it and i think you know aa style the first step is accepting that that you have a problem the problem <laughs> is that we actually have to pay for people's eyeballs so our fundamental approach is yes it's social media but it's social media we pay for so we're, we're, we're it's facebook advertising instagram advertising um not just the straightforward um you know like my page stuff uh, a little more complex than that but 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 ultimately yeah it's 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 paying to reach people um youtube advertising uh snapchat to some extent depends on the demographic um sure, uh, sure. and uh, yeah okay so um i have a couple of other questions on specific things you said there one was you know the youtube video of uh joe going to to listen to and and interact with the air piano and yeah. it's a it's a really interesting youtube video did you ever work out what it was that that engaged people? Was it Joe? Was it the air piano? How did they even find it? Well, I met a guy who worked for Bandcamp in the UK, in, mm-hmm. probably in about 2014, 15. He was the only guy at the time, I can't remember his name, I must look him up. Um, he, he, he uh, if you know him, forgive me, uh, he, he was the only UK employee of Bandcamp at the time. And mm-hmm. He told me that they were signing up a thousand bands a day, every day. Now, so when well, artists tend to have this beautifully uh, idealistic view, which I love, and you know, I've been there myself, right? That if 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 what I do is good enough, it will be found. It'll it'll get out of there. Um, but what I try to tell to the people I work with is that um, you have to understand that if you had a thousand people a day, all Joint or, or, or a thousand bands a day, right? Each with you know between one and four people in on average, right? All going onto a football pitch and joining yesterday's thousand bands and then the day before thousand bands. So you had three hundred sixty-five thousand bands, not even people, but so maybe a million people, right? Uh, each year, and then 
you've got a million from last year and a million from the year before, right? So say you've got five million people from the last five years, all on one football pitch, and in the middle of it is you, and you're the you're the most amazing talent the world's ever heard. How, how are you going to get heard over that? Mm-hmm. That's the reality. We've gone from a situation where you had you had total control by the few record labels that existed and Mr. Mm-hmm. Big with his cigar and his, you know, um, unethical working practices, should we say, <laughs> yes. uh, was, was, was in control of, of everyone's careers and you had to get through them and do whatever they said, the shallow trench, uh, you know. You've gone from that situation to the complete opposite where anybody can get a platform, but, mm-hmm. but suddenly you've got 5 million people trying to get a platform as a result. The, the, the opposite problem, democratization. So... Um, what one of the breakthroughs for me was watching a Seth Godin video, mm-hmm. it was a TED talk, um, where Seth Godin, for those that don't know, was the head of marketing of Yahoo and uh, wrote a book and coined a phrase, which is the, the purple cow. Um, mm-hmm. uh, if you're driving down the road, I think this is the story, if you're driving down the road and uh, you see a cow, when you get to the far end, you tell your friends, I saw a cow. They're like, eh, cows are boring. I've seen cows before. But if you see a purple cow, wow. Then people were you saw a purple cow? No way. Right. So the key, our key goal, you know, when you look at what a record company does, it really boils down to traditionally it boils down to three three roles, right? Tradition in, in historically. Um it funds the creation of talent, sorry, the creation of, of product, right? So the creation of a record mm-hmm. uh, and music videos. Um it distributes it, so it gets it out to people and it markets it. Right. Now, in, in, in a world where Billie Eilish can record at home uh, for, for almost nothing, right, with just logic and a microphone, and and then you can put it on TuneCore and get it on iTunes for nothing, for $10 or whatever, um, the first two are gone. All that's left is marketing, right? So the job of a record company now is to, is to work out how to make your person on that football fit pitch have flashing trousers. Mm-hmm. So, so, so they're noticed, and people actually zoom in and listen to them. And go, wow, they're really good. I would love to listen to their music. And it's literally just trying to sieve out the rest of the noise. It's, it's signals noise, just like we have in, in audio. Mm-hmm. Um, so, the the air piano um, was the reason that it helped us is because it was Joe's purple cow. She's yeah. got many purple cows, but it was a big one for her. Suddenly, yeah. it was something that nobody else had. It was she was the only artist in the world using it. It was. It predated Immy's gloves, so it was mm-hmm. the first, at the, you know, for a period of about eighteen months, it was the the only kind of contactless, non theremin wave your hands around thing that existed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was fascinating, but you know, it's amazing once you start. There's this thing that happens with promoting music that at the beginning it's just a nightmare. It's just a huge slog. Like imagine the Sisyphean task of pushing a boulder up, right? You mm-hmm. you just Every inch is a struggle, right? And and every every single mailing list sign up we were following, right? Oh, someone signed up, fantastic, right? There comes a point where you start to go over the brow of the hill, and you, you've done you've put enough interesting hooks out in the world that things start to come in without you pushing anymore, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? And it's not quite simple as it just rolls itself. You're still pushing, but you know things are starting to happen without them coming to you. And so by just by having you know. Uh, this video up there with her making a fantastic music, um, but be with uh, in a way no one else is doing. Mm-hmm. People start to share it with each other, and and you know we had this guy, um, 
some guy got in touch with me. He was a, he's a great example of the way the world works, right? He was, he was a, um, a music supervisor in, in North America somewhere. And he, you know, he, he placed the music on some very, very big shows. I think Grey's Anatomy was one of his. Mm-hmm. Um, he got in touch with me and said, I was looking for a new computer keyboard. <laughs> <laughs> so I typed, I typed that into YouTube and I came across a new keyboard, a new, a new instrument, a new instrument. Uh-huh. And, um, mm-hmm. and as a result of that, became totally enamored and bought the record and then got in touch with me to say, if you ever need anything placing, I love her music. So, you know, I mean, how could you control yeah. that? You, all, all you can do is act with integrity and, and put interesting things out there, which are purple cows, which, which make your trousers flash on the football field. <laughs> mm-hmm. And um, so, yeah, that's, that's our role is, is, is trouser flashing. Yeah, it's interesting. I've become fascinated in these kind of tipping point questions about you know, what it was. Um, I was talking to a cellist who I can't, I don't know if you know or not, Zoe Keating, do you know Zoe? Yeah, and yeah, she's great. Yeah, so her her tipping point was playing cello at a recreation of a t- an atomic explosion um, by a protest group in the desert, right. and NPR came to cover it, heard the cello piece, put her on NPR. That was kind of the thing that that you know that this spark that ignited, and it's kind of fascinating to to hear what it was. You know, the air piano. The cello at the the simulation of an atomic explosion, yeah, you know that thing that engages people, yeah, it's it's interesting and it thought provoking really. If you're if you're uh, you know as you say, what's your purple cow? If you're an artist trying to get heard, trying to amplify the signal over the noise, what is it that's going to engage? And maybe you yeah. have to try a number of things before you find one that that's authentic and gains yeah, traction. Absolutely. Totally, totally. I worked with a, a guy for a while who was the um, who came and consulted to us. Who was who used to at one point was uh, head of marketing of a major label, mm-hmm. and um, and had marketed some very famous household names that we had known and respect. And um, he said that uh, he said you know I, in my sort of you know at our busiest time we'd have four hundred plates spinning. But we never knew which ones would work, and and invariably it would be some other plate we hadn't thought of that would work. Um, but the point is that if you if you if you as I said if you just put interesting stuff out there, things happen. The world is chaotic, and you can't control what comes back when you stick your hook in the water. But you need to have a hook in the water in the first place to do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I just have one more question to ask you about this this bit of it because it's just fascinating to me. Hmm. I. In my business life, I've uh, done some experiments with search engine optimization, SEO. Yeah. And one of the things I found, I, I did some, I put some money um, into SEO and gave up on it after about like four or five months because it didn't seem to be having any effect. Yeah. And then I talked to someone that, that was um, much more expert in it than me who said, really you're going to see the impact of it somewhere between six and nine months. Um, hmm. So I then went back and did another SEO pro, um, program and, and kept it going longer, and it did start to have an effect. Hmm. So that particular lever takes quite a long time before you see it's working. You yeah. were talking about pulling levers on Facebook advertising. Did hmm. you see an immediate impact, or you know how, how quickly do you see an effect? Uh, yeah, we, we have... Um... We did lots of experimenting, but I'll tell you where we've ended up. 
it's going to sound yeah well we have we have the ability to control pretty much minute to minute what happens now wow with the, yeah so so you know i've gone from this place where i i've spent the first 20 years of my career learning how to make fabergé eggs mm -hmm. uh, wonderful little worlds with minute detail in them uh, uh, recordings uh, and what is fascinating with getting in uh, you know starting to focus heavily on on the world of marketing is that you're seeing the flow of people on mass so when you get onto the Jules Holland show, right, which is the, what the entire music industry is trying to squeeze through, mm -hmm. um, we looked at what you actually win, right? When it, you know, because we'd had two different pluggers take Joey in, and and, and neither of them had uh, had managed to get her place. The, the, for whatever reason, again, art is totally subjective. The um, uh, the the people at the time who were making the decisions didn't didn't say yes. So, and I don't know why. Um, but we looked at what you'd actually get from that. And it was something like, I can't remember the exact figures, it's something like 250,000 viewers on the day and then 700,000 on repeats, right? What we realized was that the marketing campaigns that we were running were hitting 2 million people every weekend, mm. right, with Joe's music. So she was mm -hmm. hitting more people. And, they, and furthermore, they were people who we'd chosen because of their music texts, partly, mm -hmm. one of the other factors. So, you know, we knew that if people liked... Uh, Tom Waits, for example, Bjork, that they'd be more likely to like Joe's music than people who, somebody who likes the M people, for example. Mm -hmm. um, and so, so to an extent, it was a better audience that we were hitting than would be watching Jules Holland, right? Okay, which is music lovers, but that could be anybody. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, we, we, we reached a point where uh, we, uh, nowadays what we can do is uh, is have, pretty much minute by minute control over what we think of as kind of like an ant farm where we're controlling if you have millions of people going through a system which is what we create an e-commerce system effectively uh, then we can choose at any any moment how many people we push through it now what's fascinating about human behavior and and why again i uh, going from the micro to the macro has been such a fascinating journey for me personally mm -hmm. uh, in, in my career has been that on a micro level individually we feel like we've got total agency and um, all our decisions are, are ours but if you add people together um, then after a certain point their collective decision making becomes very very predictable mm -hmm. so as an example um, we know we use a lot of um, a lot of uh, techniques from affiliate marketing which is a particular brand uh, area of digital marketing and, and, and a simple example is that if you have a buy now button which is green and you turn it orange you'll sell about eight percent more things hmm. mm -hmm. which makes no sense right it's completely irrational like you know couldn't like you're going to really care what color the button was when you receive your t-shirt or your cd or anything right but nonetheless we are we are we have primitive parts of our brains which respond to things like color if, if we make that that button kind of bobbly, so you want to push it with your finger, <laughs> like your like your grand's wallpaper, you know. Mm -hmm. Then, um, then <laughs> then like three percent more people will click on it, will sell more, and yeah. and ultimately, if I had to sum up what we do, is we do a gazillion of those tiny little tweaks, which are looking at how behavioral economics, how irrational people are, and working with it, you know. And you see this all over the internet with different degrees of um, ethical um, consistency, should we say? So, for example, when you go on a 
uh, a web page that says there's only two left and the sale ends in two hours and it's a countdown timer, right? Mm-hmm. That's all nonsense. It's they're they're playing with they're playing with human emotions, and mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. you know we do the same, but we try to stay the right side of of, of the ethical boundary on it, mm-hmm. um, and just understanding how people work. So, for example, if you if you have friction in a uh, checkout chain, right? So if you the music's fantastic, it's wonderful. Uh, I'm totally sold. I'm going to buy the package, I'm, and you click go, and you have to then log in and create an account and it's going to take you five minutes then you have to receive an email and validate the email and it takes you five you're going to lose 80 percent of your sales in that five minutes because people mm-hmm. have got very little time um and and attention span you know it's no longer 1978 we don't we, we don't we're not short of of sources of things to do anymore mm-hmm. so so the, the key thing we do if I, I had to summarize it in one phrase is that we um we respect the attention span and the time of the audience over and over and above our attention span or the wishes of us or our artist. It's all about being humble in the face of the fact that we've got to justify our place in their attention span. Um, and, and we have to have a product that's good enough to compete with the other things that they could be doing with their time. Call of Duty or, uh, or Game of Thrones, you know. Um, Angry Birds. That's that's the competition nowadays. It's not other records. It's, mm-hmm. it's other. Mm-hmm. So... Going back to the question about how much control we have, uh, to give you an example, we we can, with J, uh, James Hood, who's an artist we work with, we got his last three albums to number one in uh, on the world music charts on Amazon and iTunes in US, Canada, Australia, Denmark, uh, UK, and each time uh, on three different occasions. And the way we did that was by um, controlling traffic flow. Uh, you know, we can literally say, okay, Saturday, we're going to go for number one and 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 time it to within two or three hours roughly speaking um and what we're doing is we're looking at the flow that the you know because the charts are now updated every few minutes rather than every week right so we we can uh, we can get a a a record to the top and and so then you start to go you know when when you when you're talking to artists who've grown up with the mythology of the music industry where being at number one was the big thing right they're like great let's do again but the question we then start to have with them is well what's the point of that right okay mm-hmm. we can now say the record's been at number one that's that's great and 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 you can make that claim and it's fine it was number one for this weekend right we could do it again next weekend but is it actually what's the effect of that now the point sure. of being at number one in the past was that um in the days of top of the pops is that you got you on top of the pops mm-hmm. right? you know if you're at number one you would get coverage on top of the pops and you'd sell a whole load more records because of the exposure that happened as a result of that yeah um now, nowadays, being at number one on the iTunes chart, does that get you much more exposure? Well, it gets you to the top of the iTunes um, page, right? Does that get you? Are, are there a lot of people, and again, it's all about asking questions. Are there a lot of people who spend time browsing the iTunes page looking for something random to buy? I would say no. Mm-hmm. We, we've measured it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and again, you, uh, you, you'll find pluggers that will tell you that, oh, we definitely want to be on the front page and you want to get spend an awful lot of money persuading iTunes to give you coverage. But I, I really don't think people browse in that way anymore, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, we, we, we have very close control. Uh, and, and it's all about getting rid of all of our preconceptions about what what doesn't doesn't drive traffic, what doesn't doesn't drive return on investment on the far end, um, which sounds terribly businessy. But it's if you, you know, the basis of our system is that if, if you can spend a dollar, and measurably on average across you know, 100,000 people that you're showing it to get $1.10 back, 
you can respend the same dollar again and you can reach two million people in a weekend. This is how we did it with Joe. Mm -hmm. We didn't we didn't throw you know you know a million dollars at marketing her. Huh? We 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 respent the same money over and over again. Sure. Right? Sure. By pushing people into an ecosystem where we'd measured the return on investment and we were tweaking it so that um, now, obviously, it's the, the the artist's job is to, it, it, you know, the artists tend to think that business and, and, and art tend to be like oil and water there, should be mm -hmm. kept separate. But, you know, the two things have to go in tandem. It's like a Formula One team. If, 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 if art is to reach lots and lots of people, it has to pay its way, it has to get there, right? And if you don't make the business model work, then what happens is that you go in with your £20,000 marketing budget, whatever you've scraped together, um, which would be a lot for a modern artist, and and you spend twenty thousand, and you reach twenty thousand people, and and five hundred of them become kind of fans. You get a thousand more on your Facebook list, and that's the end of it. It's release over, and the number of people who rush releases because they have this idea that oh, I can't wait to get they're impatient, they can't wait to wait to get out there. Um, but you know, you have to be creating. You know, you you have to be creating the a, a virtuous circle where you can respend the same money. If you do that, you can keep reaching people. Um, and this is a really key thing is that, you know, in, in the days of the market, the mass marketing release, you would have, you know, you'd have your two months build up with the, the broadsheets and the, and the glossies, right. And the timing things through the radio campaign. And then you'd have a whole lot of hoo-ha and you'd, you'd have got your, you know, going to get a placement on the front of the HMV rack, whatever it may be that all the things you're paying for and your billboard, and we're going to get the appearance on such and such, um, and then you'd have like two or three months of noise where, it, where the radio charted and then it would drift away, right? And it would become just back issue and they wanted the next thing. The world of digital is totally different because going back to this lever that we have, right? Um, we, we, we refer to it internally as an afterburner lever, like in Top Gun, right? Because um, if, you're, if, if, if we are reaching people, um, we're effectively bidding to do so, right? We're bidding for eyeballs. Now, if if we if we bid at a certain rate, we'll we will reach people at a certain average cost per impression or cost per click through, right? Um, if we want more people, we can push our afterburner up and we can dump fuel into the exhaust and we can waste we can be wasteful and we can say, okay, we're we're happy to spend three times as much to reach each person that we reach, but we'll get a ton more people. And and so we might chart it. We might other things we're doing. We'll actually just have a burst of of energy of attention on on the artist at that point, right? None of this works without the art, the artist being great. But that's not our affair, you know. The 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 art. All of this is mechanism that only works if you've got fantastic art. Um, what we're trying to do is navigate through this incredibly crowded marketplace by creating these little feedback loops. Um, so. Uh, yeah, um, we 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 are controlling our afterburner. We're we're controlling the efficiency of the spend, and in that way, we're controlling the the traffic rate. And we and then we're using that to determine what the sort of outcomes are of our, you know, the, the you know, aim for our strategic goals, as it were. Right, um, right. Um, I want to go on to something else, but I have one last question to ask you on this uh, this area. Sure. It's just come up. Yeah. You know, I think of you as as a a real someone who's really passionate about music and production and, and you do beautiful production work. Yeah. And I've just listened to you be passionate about business and ROI mm -hmm. and a lot of other things that you've mm -hmm. kind of come to. And you, you mentioned, as you were saying it, that it's often to artists like oil and water. How have you navigated that personally? Well, it goes back to the, the idea of the question of what does a producer do? 
Mm-hmm. And the Motown day, if you wanted your record, you know, there's no, nobody that you'd found to, who you'd mentored and taught to dance and you trained and they obviously had raw talent. But if, 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 you know, they'd gone through all the process, if at the end of that, they hadn't actually made sure it reached people, then, then what's the point? Right. Mm-hmm. After, okay. Sure. Initially, sure. when you're, when you're first getting going, or if you're just doing music for fun, then, then, then fine. It's okay. It's, it's nothing wrong at all. And I actually admire, I, I, I actually wish more people would just make music for fun and not try to monetize it all the way through. Right. But I, I've sort of, you know, my, I, this is my career and that's my, what I do. And, and people rely on me and people, um, mm-hmm. I've got responsibility that if I say to somebody like Joe that trust me, you know, we, we can do something here and we'll make this happen, you know, to the best of our ability. Um, then, you know, I, 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 I owe it to them to make sure that we don't just make a fantastic record and then it ends up under someone's under their bed for the next year, mm-hmm. you know, in, in crates that we actually, Make sure it reaches the people. It's just finishing it off, just finishing off the production. So it's, I see it as part of the record production, um, and maybe it stems from frustration at being involved in enough projects that that fell off the end and got put into someone else's hands who dropped, dropped sure. the ball. But, um, so again, it's for me, it's with 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 record production. We're with making music. We, we we are taking people on an emotional journey. Right and mm-hmm. and in terms of the creative aspect of record, record production, we're looking at the emotional journeys that the artist is trying to take people on, and looking at the problems with them. Right, in what way could this journey be better? So it might be, for example, that uh, you know that the, 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 the emotional cadence is fantastic, but this particular bit is a really piercing sound. And it's just kind of it distracts you out of where the emotional journey is. Right, but that emotional journey only actually reaches people if it reaches people. Mm-hmm. So, so with the marketing, what we're doing is we're continuing the emotional journey. And, and actually, I like the idea. One thing I love about this democratization is that we can involve, you know, the, the, the small teams working with the artists can be involved in the marketing messaging and, and the music videos, and the, the artists themselves can make the music videos. Um, so you don't get this idea of a manufactured artist where you had a big team just kind of working with anybody, right, who, who just provided the singing, uh, and then they bought the song in, whatever. Um, instead, you, you, going back to what, what I love, which is artists with, with real um, uh, conviction in what they do, mm-hmm. we we can extend that into a, a kind of multimedia world and extend it out into the marketing. So if they create a flavor, we you know I've, I, I see it like a chef who's given a recipe and it, and you, you're there you're trying to you're trying to reduce the sauce to make the flavors stronger. That's what part of what we do right mm-hmm. and, and so it's the same with the marketing campaign we can make the marketing campaign an extension of that yeah uh, and if you get it right the business model and and the marketing messaging and and the music videos and everything is all just the same thing it's all just reaching people in a way that works that's all with something that's beautiful mm-hmm. um so yeah i don't see it as this separate cynical now now let's sell it kind of thing at the end it's not that at all it's um you know the way we think of the marketing is it's conversation with people it's like sure you know you no longer have to go via those um tastemakers right mm-hmm. it's instead you know we've seen that you like this or uh, or we know that they like this from uh, uh, demographics whatever um we think this might be of value to you uh, mm-hmm. let's let us show you give us five minutes just give us five seconds give us three seconds the the um something like 80 percent of the eyeballs on a video on a, on a on an advert now are lost after the first three seconds hmm. 
So we actually have to, yeah, our, our first job, you know, if the artist's got amazing art, our first job is to get past that mm-hmm. barrier. Okay, so how do we stop people just scrolling past it? People scroll on average the height of the Empire State Building on a day on their feeds. <laughs> wow. So our first job is to get them to stop scrolling, scrolling, right? Just so that we can then at least show them what the artist does. So at every point is building on the psychology. Okay, so the first three seconds has to have something that's really eye-catching, that's in keeping with the artist's ethos, but nonetheless just works with the psychology of how people work. Then we get them to stop. Then we show them something quickly where that we're not trying to say, listen to this concept album, right? <laughs> Instead, it's something which just gives them a little tiny hint of the emotional journey, the cadence. Mm-hmm. And they go, oh, I like that. What's that? And they're, and they're intrigued. So we, our job is to draw them into the artist's world. And it's not separate from it. It's just, it's just in any way more than the design of a menu is separate from the, the, the meal that a great chef will cook. Sure. It's all part of the same experience. Sure. Or the interior design, the restaurant, or whatever yeah. other yeah. ingredients exactly. there are. It's, let's, it's respect let's, people's night, night out. Night out. Go on. Let's um, move on, because all of what you've been saying, and it's like deeply fascinating to me and hopefully to listeners as well, because I think there's a ton of really great information there. But all of this was aimed at selling CDs, at selling recorded music. Yeah. And now we're in a time where that's no longer potentially a viable way of making a living. Mm. So in these days of what I, what I, usually say is kind of all you can eat musical buffet for 10 bucks a month, um, paying the artist next to nothing. How does an artist flourish? I think the artists you, you've, you've really got ironically, ironically faced with this two tier system, we still have a two tier system, you, you, you have the big labels with big marketing budget who are willing to blow a couple of million quid gambling on a release. Uh, they're willing to have a one in 10 success rate. They're willing to sign artists and just shelve them because they don't want the competitors to have them. All that stuff, right? The old school. Um, mm-hmm. You've got that. And 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 with, with a huge marketing budget, you can be like a blunderbuss. You can get the London Underground adverts and the, you know, get all the pluggers to get you on everything ever. And and play the games like, you know, if you put this artist on your show, then we'll give you this other artist that you really want on your show, right? So, because they have a portfolio. Um, we we can't play that game. Um, and so the rest of us, if you like, who aren't the, going via, who aren't willing to play that game or aren't able to for whatever reason, we have to play a different game. We have the, we have all the 5 million people on our football field and we have to, f- we have to figure out a way of getting the art among in that noise um, noticed and working as a as a little economic model. Now you can just go for charisma, right? And this works for YouTube stars, right? And, and it's one way of doing it. Um, uh, so you know, people have a YouTube channel, and maybe they build up a following on that. Uh, obviously, it works with Snapchat and Instagram, and uh, for certain genres, it works better. That's a very very um, it, it, it works for a tiny minority of people. They have to be very, very good, and they have to be very skilled and consistent with it. So would it work for the Grateful Dead? <laughs> I'm not mm-hmm. sure it would. Or Talk Talk, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I don't think so, because for me, most of the music I love is my- has mystery about it. You don't see what they had for breakfast. It's, mm-hmm. uh, in a way, they're, they're people who help you dream. Mm-hmm. Right? 
and I don't dream as much if I if I know it, all the ins and outs of somebody. That's that's just my maybe it's an old fashioned approach, but that's that's my my view on things. I like mystery. I like not knowing everything. I like sure. silence. You know. But if uh, if if the goal is to to have you listen to that artist's music, um, yeah. so all of the what you're doing, you know, the goal is to to listen to some like Joe Hamilton's music. But the method of listening to Joe Hamilton's music doesn't pay Joe Hamilton a significant amount of money anymore. How do the artists, even if you're successful, whether through a record company or by yourself, mm-hmm. in getting these fans, but these fans are listening to you on streaming platforms that are making the artists virtually no money, yeah. how can the artists survive? Well, you're asking a very interesting point because the pandemic... I was talking to somebody um, who does music industry training, mm-hmm. high-end stuff for labels, and he was hosting a, con- a conference recently of, of people running digital marketing teams for labels. Um, and the conclusion, I asked him what the basic takeaway was because I couldn't attend. Um, and his conclusion was that the music industry economic model doesn't work without life. Mm-hmm. So that was the, the gist of what... Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, of what people have been saying over the week and and people have been realizing that in with with the pandemic here suddenly whether you know you, if you have if you're selling shoes then your advert on tv for shoes may not make any money immediately so the question is where do you get the money back to pay for the advert for your shoe shop and the answer is well we're going to have an opening on the high street we'll have a board outside that says you know saturday half price sale and we'll get all the people coming in maybe we'll get a local celebrity to actually as a sort of part two bring people into the shop so the same question applies to the music industry where or i'm sorry to artists is that you can make noise over here as you say on spotify we can reach people and stuff but where does the money come back in and we need to solve that question now i know i'm, I'm answering your question with the same question but um the classic answer uh, as i just alluded to is live mm-hmm. yeah um, but there's a problem with live and which no one talks about much, really. And that is, well, there's two problems with live, really. Um, so number one is that if you start with live, which is the, you know, age old traditional way of you build a following, right? Sure. Um, it's very, very slow and very inefficient in terms of the artist's energy. Because you start off by literally, by definition, you start off um, playing to nobody. And, and playing to a couple of people and the, the drunk guy who's always in there on a Saturday night and then you go mm-hmm. home. You know, we did we did we did early, early shows. We did this with Joe. She toured yeah. she did a local radio tour where we'd booked onto twenty different local radio stations up and down the UK. She ended up in the far north of Scotland playing on talking on some tiny little local radio station that probably had a hundred people listening to it, if that. Mm-hmm. Right. And she travelled the whole day to get there with um with Shelley who was uh, who was uh, assisting her at the time. Um and then they played to these hundred people, and and three of them probably were listening at the time, and one of them went, "That's nice." That was that was what she got back from a whole day of effort, right? Sure. So it was, and the same is true of a live show. You then go and play in a local town hall, and maybe somebody was there liked it, and maybe you could come back the next time. But ah, well, how inefficient in these days when we can all sit here and talk to each other, reach each other without going via any of that stuff. We can do it digitally instantly. So. So problem one is that it doesn't work as a thing. It doesn't make any sense until you've got a kind of critical mass of of people. You know, those 
those little tours going you know going up to whether it's a radio tour or a live show either way it's the same thing you're playing to almost nobody but the 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 the, the opportunity cost and the petrol and all that sort of stuff is exhausting and the hotels um so you know spend ten thousand pounds on a local radio tour in total whatever it may have been with nothing back so you've just spent ten thousand pounds right so that's not sustainable it's not sustainable so you're gonna, what, you're gonna do that kind of 10 times in the hope that next time you get three people and four people so really for it to work as a way of bringing the money back in you have to pass this threshold we've analyzed it somewhere around 300 people uh, mm-hmm. attending each show mm-hmm. that's the point where um where it becomes roughly profitable to tour with a band right Maybe a bit more than that, three three fifty. Um, uh, you know, but some you've paid for a tour bus, particularly with you in the, in the states, where you can't do it in the back of a transit van. You really need a tour bus, otherwise, you, you, you know, you'll, you'll kill each other within a, within a month. It's so mm-hmm. exhausting to do. Um, yeah. So, so you know, you need you need a, a tour bus and a driver who's going to drive it for you. And then you need hotels. Even if you're in budget hotels and you're sharing rooms, it still has a, a, a cost. Then there's a the cost of paying for the venue. That's not free. So the question is, how do you get from zero to three hundred and fifty people yeah. in each town? Now, the mistake we made strategically early on with Joe, which we are still paying the price for, is that we marketed in 23 countries. And as a result of that, she, and it's very exciting to be offered shows all over the world, but she now can play to 150 people in tons and tons and tons of towns. And and it will cost us, on, we'll make a net loss in there, mm-hmm. which makes it hard for it to be sustainable and, and hard to do it, basically, hard to justify doing it. Mm-hmm. So... You know, interestingly, it, it, although the internet enables us to reach people globally, we do need to think to some extent in terms of clustering, in terms of geographical clustering, in terms of being smart, really. Um, you know, if we've got a very small amount of money we can apply to things and, and effort and attention with a tiny independent team, then then we need to be applying that in a very focused way, um, to, you know, w- with an end in mind. So, you know, we always start with what is the goal? What are we trying to do? And, and 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 that's a question that not a lot of artists ask. Ask you know, the, everyone's again, and I don't resent musicians for this because they they're idealistic. They they they're interested in their music. They're interested in the beautiful things they're creating. But you know, they they just want to go and do things. They want to play. Yeah. They want to mm-hmm. the record out there. But we have to ask the question. They want the, they want to be at number one. But the question is, what will that achieve? doing mm-hmm. that show what we're doing that and so if, our job is to again as a producer is to be the sandwich between the realities and the harshness of the world and the and, and the artistic loveliness right and and say okay well and we know you want to play live um if you go and do that then it'll be to almost no people whereas if we just hang on a bit and then do this other activity and do things in that order then we can use that to leverage that and that will mean that we'll get more people at that show and you know just that sort of little bit of strategy thinking. Um, so uh, going back to, to, to circle back to your basic question in a, in a general terms, in general terms, um, we need to be looking for where does the money come back into our shoe shop? Mm-hmm. Uh, and that can be by a huge variety of methods. It's, it's, it's almost certainly not from selling music, as you alluded to. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I like a quote from Lady Gaga's manager, which I think I first heard at a TED conference. Hmm. We realized early on that music was great for selling almost everything except music. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, that makes a ton of sense. So, you know, the, the artist needs to say, well, what, what is, where are we going to get the money back from if we want to ensure that we get somewhere? We can play the game of being a social, a social media influencer. We can play the game of doing videos that are crazy enough they may go viral, which is a very, very long shot. Mm-hmm. Um, but 
if you can create an ecosystem into which you drive people where on average your dollar spent getting them there gives you more than a dollar back, then you don't need to rely on chance. You can you can rely on statistics to to mean that you will grow your audience. The question is just deciding up front what value can you bring to the world uh, and what wonderful experiences through your art and through the ecosystem you build around it that you can then charge for fairly uh, and 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 the equation works. So it's thinking of the entire thing as like a corner shop. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, that, that sounds logical and everything that, that you know, for a pound spent, a dollar spent, you get you sh- you have to get more than a pound or a dollar back again. Yes. And but but do you have it, any more thoughts about you know if if the behaviour that that the marketing uh, provokes is wanting to listen to the music? There are two ways of doing that. Well, there's a lot of ways of doing it, but we'll use two. One is you buy the CD, you buy the record, and then some money flows back. The other is yeah. You listen to it on a streaming platform, and again, some money flows back, but not much money. So, how do you get it so that the um, you know that it is more than a pound or a dollar back for every pound or dollar spent? Uh, testing. So, there comes a point where uh, I mean, it's very difficult for an artist who is very much an artist, very much left brain, uh, right brain. Get it? I don't remember which one around which one around it is, but. Uh, who's a dreamer to to start thinking in terms of stats but really the key to this is statistical so uh, i don't think you need to find us a, a you know i don't think you need necessarily to hire poseidon to do this sort of stuff the the uh, people can do it on 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 their own what you need is somebody with the right kind of mindset which is an, uh, which is an interest in detail uh, a brain that can handle maths and and really, uh, and, and think logically through problem solving. What we're trying to create is a, it's like it's like doing a puzzle. Okay, so we've spent a hundred dollars right today, and we've shown this advert for, uh, for for the record, say right, and uh, and, and and we've had you know, fifteen clicks, and five people left a message and said it was nice, right? So. The key thing we, we what we what we do is we, we'd start off by uh, getting rid of all of our assumptions. Um, so we might assume, for example, that that our artists' audience are people who love left field to choose a, a band. Right? Oh, it's really like left field. People who love left field would love this. So we'll we'll go after people of the age of people who like left field, for example. And other, we'll look at other demographic aspects. Of, yeah, a Morrissey fan, it might be people from that part of the world, for example. Um, so, uh, and we'll look at interests and and other aspects. But um, what we've discovered doing this again, this comes back to humbleness, is that we're fifty percent of the time wrong with our assumptions. With Joe early on, we were convinced that um, uh, we were convinced that fans of somebody or other. It was, I can't remember who it was, but there was a female artist. We were convinced that their fans would love what she did and what we discovered is that people who like peter gabriel like joe's music way more on average than this person that, whose assumption we'd, we'd made right so um our assumption was wrong about wh- who the, the perfect audience was and so uh, if you if you apply that same humbleness to every aspect of what you try and do right anybody can start a facebook ad right or an instagram ad or, or whatever so um if you say okay well we think that this picture 
and and these people uh, are, are, that we should show this picture and this message to these people. Test it. Say I'm going to put five pounds a day into trying that idea out, and then let's try five pounds a day on on another idea, which is which I, we don't think will work, but we'll try it, right? And and just try permutations, try um, sending them to a different song, right? So you may, for example, say you've got a music video. I'll give you a simple example. So we say you've created two music videos for your artist, right? And uh, you're going to say, okay, five five pounds a day. We're going to spend sending them to the first music video, five pounds a day sending them to the second music video. So change one factor in that and test see of those who who responded most to that music video and you can see that you can see the number of people who who watched it more than 25 percent the way through the number of people who then took actions and this is another key thing the amount of artists i see who have websites that don't have the most basic marketing tool on them which is a call to action right they'll say no one buys my record but you go on the website and does it say buy my record anyway no it doesn't there's no button you can push right so somebody wants to buy the record you, you know, you're assuming that they're going to know where to look for the record. That they'll, but maybe, maybe the, most people don't nowadays don't even have an iTunes or a Spotify account. Right? Most people are just casual. They listen to links their friends send them. So if you want them to take an action, and again, this is, comes back to starting with the goal in mind, right? Our action is for them to 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 watch these videos and then sign up to our mailing list, right? Whatever that is. You need to start with the end goal and work backwards. So, okay, our mailing list sign form is where? Okay, it's on it's on this website which we'll create using WordPress or using uh, Wix or on anything else um, and then we're going to go back from that okay how are we going to get from the, the video to there so anybody who watches the video goes there okay we'll have it in caps under the video that join our mailing list and get a free t-shirt whatever it may be anything you can dream of right and, and this is the thing the great thing about this is that it is just down to imagination which artists are good at so um, if you can work with somebody or even if you yourself are, are very good at uh, the statistical side of it, but if you can get um, at least somebody on your team, even if your team's just you, to be to be bringing that sort of thinking on it, and then use the creative side to think about, you know, what could we do to to walk people through to take the action we want to start with, and then you link that back to to messaging, and the messaging can be an advert. That's a, that's one way of paying to reach people, but it could be another way. It could be, for example, say you one of your videos um, was picked up by. A company. So you, I don't know. For example, your dad um, has um, runs a shoe shop, right? And he says, "Oh, I love that song you've done, John." Right? And uh, I'd love to use that on 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 the launch of my local radio advert, whatever it may be, right? So the, 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 there's some maybe there's some something some use you get through a connection, right? Because we we have to use all the connections we have. So you get some traffic to one of the videos. So what you can then do is say, "Well, I'm going to have a card flash up on that video, which will say, listen to my other video over here.'" Or we can say, uh, sign up to my mailing list over here. So we're, we're always starting again with the end thing we're looking for and then working backwards, creating a funnel of actions and making sure that funnel has as little friction as possible. You don't have to sign up. You don't have to join accounts. You doesn't, um, it doesn't, uh, you know, it's not slow loading, for example. Um, and, and then, and then once, so once you've tried that out, you, you'll then try a couple of different uh, ways of reaching people. And it could be different adverts. Uh, and and you'll measure. You know, we have the tools now to measure the response we get. Um, and if you measure and then discard the one that doesn't work, and then rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat. Um, we run something like a million permutations on a new campaign of every aspect, and and it's down to the colors of buttons, the whether something's got a frame around it. Um, sure. sure. You know, you can take you can take an advertising campaign for something that's been working fine but has got tired, and just relaunch it with the image flipped. 
or mm. with the colors switched out or something simple like that or a different headline and it can be enough to to increase sales by 50 percent um and that can be enough to make the dollar bring a dollar back in which means that you can then reach more people and your goal as an artist which is to get the art to people continues you don't run out of runway you keep it going mm. you keep the perpetual motion machine going um it's all about building these little engines with an outcome at the end so with all of this yeah um to some extent it's it's dependent on content of having things yeah. to to show people yeah and um there are some artists that are very good at providing content all of the time. Yeah, they're, they're mm. always providing people content. Yeah. And then there are other artists, a lot of the ones that I like, like Joe, like Peter Gabriel, like Kate Bush, mm. that come out with something every five or ten years. How yeah. how does someone maintain that kind of visibility if they're only producing something really infrequently? And how can we incentivize them to do that? Because a lot of those artists provide such um, works of resonance and 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 substance because they're only doing it every few years. Well, again, this comes back to the question: Why? Why? Why would I be interested in in marketing or business? And the, and, and it's because un, unless we can say to the artists that that the work's actually going to reach people, why, why? What incentive do they have to dedicate their lives to it? It's really tough to be an artist, you know it's there's no there's no security um you're 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 at the mercy of a, of a of a market that only judges you on your last thing and critics in some countries especially mentioning their names in the uk uh can be extremely cruel right people are sitting at home saying um one of my my favorite review ever for joe's uh release we had obviously we have stunning stunning reviews many 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 but my favorite review ever was negative because it was so nasty it was just like wow. It's like literally the ho- most horrible thing I can imagine. I'd, it was it was it was laughingly. So we had, we had a, we had a, we had a scream about it. And you know you have to. Artists don't develop a thing a thick skin. We do because we're seeing the fact that even the Shaw- the Shawshank Redemption, which I'd say is an amazing film, even that doesn't have a ten out of ten review. There were people that didn't like it, right? Uh, on, on IMDb, it's only eight point two or whatever. And 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 so and. You know, all art is all art is subjective, and you need to, it, to some extent, you need to shield the artist's ego from that. But then we also need to say to them, it is worth you doing this because, uh, and it's worth you putting the time in to to make something with the depth that, that, that a record like Gown has, which isn't just rec- standalone records; it's it's a body of art, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so, yeah, we, we we have a little duty to provide that kind of safety blanket to make that environment uh, happen uh, I, I do believe as a general point that noise isn't necessarily good um there was a in, in in when social media first really took off there were loads of pundits who were publishing charts and stuff about what's the optimum number of times you should tweet if you're in mm-hmm. if you're on social media whether you're an artist or you're a shock jock or whatever you are um and i think the consensus was three times a day like Kate Bush doesn't tweet three times a day, but people still love her. It's like if she did that, the the mystique might rub off, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and and you know, I've talked to to Joe about this. She's very uncomfortable with social media generally. She loves the fact she can reach people directly, but she doesn't want to be. She's actually a very private person. She mm-hmm. expresses herself. Her her music is her diaries. Sure. She doesn't want to be having to then in the meantime saying this is my new recipe, right? <laughs> it's mm-hmm. it's like that stuff all goes into the music and she's like well if i give it all away in the meantime what am i gonna put into the music you know 
It's mm-hmm. like a, it's like giving people all the ingredients before, rather than just making the cake. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, so I, I'm not a believer in noise for noise's sake at all. I, I don't like the idea of engagement. I don't think it's necessary. I, you know, Joe's second album has been much delayed, largely because of things that Poseidon's been doing more than things that Joe's been doing. Um, and uh, and actually, us trying to make sure that the uh, the playing field, from in terms of our strategy, was was as good as it could be for because she's made an exceptional second record, I think. Um, so, and then you know some practical stuff coming up, um, uh, life. Uh, but you know, I haven't in the meantime. I don't think in the meantime that the delay has actually harmed her. In fact, it's kind of the opposite. We've seen inquiries about her music actually slowly increase over time. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, it's like the there's almost like a mythology that's built up around the first record mm-hmm. because we left it long enough, and because we, you know, t- to quote somebody, uh, when everyone else is going zig zag. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so, what about um, things like patron programs and this idea of engaging? You know, of Kevin Kelly's postulation that an artist can can make a living with a thousand true fans. Yeah. Um, you know, I've seen some artists be very successful with patron programs, some artists not be so successful with yeah. patron programs. Um, what's your view on it and and this gap between casual listening on a music streaming platform and being prepared to sign up for a, a monthly or a yearly fee to be a patron again? Well, there's uh, two parts to that. Um in i wish it wasn't necessary and i I, you know i'm very grateful to the people who've been patrons for joe um we we, they've been ridiculously patient and uh, we've lost them along the way and that's totally understandable and we we have plans (laughs) coming up for all of our patrons whether past or present um in honor of the fact that they have been so so good to her and so supportive because we hadn't planned for the release of the second record to take this long. Um, but you know, uh, hopefully when people see what, what's coming, they'll understand, uh, to some extent anyway, but there is a downside to, to it that if you are an artist who goes into their own space and creates something which takes a long time, um, then suddenly to have an audience who aren't just there at the shows or when you release the record, but, you know, you kind of almost have a contract to sort of provide entertainment to them in the meantime. Um, it it makes you it, it, it puts some pressure on that there's an obligation, which is completely fair in terms of what the contract said, right? You know, but when we were creating it, that wasn't an aspect that we really considered. What we were doing is looking at different revenue streams and um, and 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 you know, do you look at deluxe merchandise, for example, as one revenue stream? Which is fine, again, and it can work, but it's very difficult because suddenly the man, the artist goes from making records to being in the manufacturing business and trying to, mm-hmm. you know, how the hell do you stop yourself getting fleeced on, on Alibaba when you're buying your boxes from, you know, India? Uh, and that's a skill set which most artists don't have, right? Suddenly you're in, in, you're in the import-export business, right? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Difficult. So so patronage is obviously, a, it, it is way forward, but it, it I think it works for those artists who do things which are by nature periodic. Um, so looking at, um, you know, artists who create comic strips, for example, right? I've seen that, that sort of 
format is fantastic where you're gonna make an episode each month and it's a story that continues whatever when it comes to, to to somebody who makes deep work which they go into their hole and then come out the other side hopefully with something which is a body of work it's a it's a little bit more difficult i mean we've toyed with like well should we be doing constant photos of recording or of the grunt work but the thing about the thing about making art is that it's work right it's we, and we're working to create the cake and we want the cake to be something magical but in the kitchen it's not necessarily pretty or something that we really want to be distracted about worrying about everyone seeing we all have to look good while we're cooking it's like we, 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 actually the cake would taste better if we all got sweaty <laughs> so um so there's an extent to which it can actually you know that feeling which is not you know, nobody's well. It's our fault, really. Um, uh, that, that feeling that there's a there's a duty of care to the patrons can actually add some pressure to the artists. So, mm-hmm. um, so that's that's a, a an aspect we hadn't anticipated, and, and it's difficult. In, in terms of um, the thousand true fans thing, I think that's a great idea, but the idea, you know, it's very hard to get that many people. Um, when when we um, talk about marketing, we think of um, we talk about funnels. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. The idea. Of, yeah, so so the the idea that obviously you 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 have this amorphous cloud of potential audience, and then as people get more engaged with what you're doing, uh, uh, they move down the funnel, right? mm-hmm. and so you know someone who's just liked your Facebook page is at the top of the funnel, and someone who's a super fan is right at the bottom. Well, we've got uh, you know an awful lot of fans for Joe, who aren't quite at the super fan level. Mm-hmm. Uh, the number of people who actually make it to the very last stage is 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 very small, right? Yeah. So. You know, and and that's with our, all our uh, social media now. For the average um, per, uh, artist who's independent and, and who hasn't got a team behind them who are managing to get records to number one, if we if we struggle to get that many patrons, mm-hmm. then then I think it, it's very it's going to be going to be very difficult for most people to do that. So I think it's a nice idea, but I don't, I'm not sure how practical it is. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, you know, you've you've found lots of ways. Throughout your career, um, I know you're working on new ways of um, live performances and and um, kind of creating immersive environments. And and I, I don't know if you do you want to say anything about that, or should we just wait and see, watch this space? Or I, th- I think that's a watch this space because I don't want to give, okay. uh, give away too much okay. of, for those fans of what we're working on. But there's so yes, suffice to say that we um, when we release Gown, the way that we created the perpetual motion machine for her for, for that record was iTunes and, and CD sales on Amazon. That's where that's the revenue stream that mm-hmm. doesn't, they, they, they effectively don't exist anymore. Um, yes. Yeah. We just, have, we just have to accept that record sales are kind of done now. Um, mm-hmm. Going back to the Lady, Lady Gaga quote um, that, you know, rec- records, recordings are a loss leader for something else. Mm-hmm. And we have to work out what now with Joe, we're working on something which, will be hopefully um, what enables us to get the money back in. And the reason for that is not, it's not mercenary. It's that we want the art to reach more than her existing fan base. And mm-hmm. we, only, we only do that if we create a perpetual motion machine. So we have to create an economic model that works. Otherwise, it, it limits where it can go. Um, so, yeah. So, uh, you know, talking about more generally, though, um, the, the, the great thing about now is that with the democratization of 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 platforms of technology uh any artist with imagination can work out how potentially uh, has the ability to work out 
what they uniquely can offer as a an experience or a product, right? Mm-hmm. Which potentially nobody else in the world is. Right? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I you know the idea of people auctioning handwritten lyric sheets, for example, a simple idea, but that didn't exist as far as I'm aware 15 years ago, right? That's, mm-hmm. that's something that's popped up. Um, mm-hmm. And and artists are very good at being creative, you know, uh, uh, doing a, a limited edition run of, um, I don't know, some jewelry, for example, or something where every yep. every item uh, is, is, uh, corresponds to a track, uh, something like that. You know, we're seeing experiments with this in the digital um, world with, with the uh, non-fungible tokens where people are experimenting trying to reintroduce scarcity mm-hmm. um, what i'd say is that we we are in control of scarcity uh for what we create as as creatives um we, you know we, we may say well music's free right because it's given away on spotify for 7.99 a month you can get all music ever but that's our choice if we choose to play that game right um, we don't have to necessarily. And, uh, if, and what really sh- shook me recently, actually, was realizing somebody somebody pointed this out. One of my friends, which I thought was a fantastic insight. He said, "I was looking at what Audible charge for streaming, right? So, Audible audiobooks are, um, or even Kindle, right? They're mm-hmm. they're they're charging seven ninety nine or whatever it is a month for, and for that you get one audiobook that you can download, right?" Mm-hmm. And Kindle's kind of similar with it, Kindle Unlimited. Um, so for seven ninety nine, you have one thing a month that you can get, right? And and, and maybe Kindle Unlimited will give you a, like a, a limited number of other things that you can get for free for a very brief time. But if you want to keep them, you have to buy them. Um, how on earth did we in the music industry end up in a situation for seven ninety nine? Anybody gets anything for, and 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 it's just permanently yep. up there. Yep, it's totally. ridiculous. Even like you know, even post LimeWire and Napster, somehow that's IP. It's just digital files, and they've ended up in that place. You know, Netflix—you can't go to Netflix and watch every movie ever, right? Mm-hmm. Most of the best movies aren't on there, and if you want them, you have to go on somewhere else and pay for it. Mm-hmm. So, so it's only what they choose to. So, so the scarcity in distribution of other digital goods, which somehow in the music industry, um, this goes back to how. Bad, uh, badly run as a business it is, frankly, uh, traditionally, and how unbusinesslike it is. Somehow we ended up in a place where the, the, the people in charge got themselves in that situation. They've set that as a norm. But we don't have to go with it, right? We could say, my releases aren't available anywhere. They're only available on cassette, right? And I'm going to make 10 cassettes each month, and only 10 people in the world can get them. And I'm going to charge £1,000 for each one. That could be a model, for example, right? Just what's... The, just think creatively. Think about what you could do, which is a zag when everyone else is zigging. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're, we're, that's what we're heavily doing with our own version of zagging. But there'll yeah. be a, a gazillion solutions to that problem. Uh, and and the, the best thing people can do is forget everything you think you know about what the music industry is or how it works traditionally. We can now hit people in their homes directly with messaging. And it's just up to us to work a way of making that pay in a way that we can keep doing it. That's all. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm not sure it needs to be an either or. Um, so, for example, withholding content from streaming platforms might not be the answer. The answer might be providing enhanced stuff. So it might not be an either or uh, yeah. solution. And and I'm totally with you. I mean, 
your Kindle example or Audible example is a great one because typically most people read a book or an Audible book once, and you yeah. you know you listen to music hundreds of times, and yet somehow it's less valuable. Um, yeah. I don't quite get that, but there again, I'm an audio a music lover. Yeah. Um, the industry. This is something I was, I was telling you about beforehand. I get very frustrated with the conventional music industry because it's it's so backward and and um, as you say it lets itself get into a situation where music is valued at yeah. seven pounds ninety nine a month or ten dollars a month, and yet there are some of us that like to buy records, and yes. um, I'm one of those people. I, I like the ritual of playing records. I like the sound of analog records, hmm. and I went into my music shop last week to buy some new releases and they were $45. And to me, that is unacceptable. At that point, it's, I'm walking out the shop, I'm streaming them because I am not going to pay $45 for a record when I could pay $15 for a CD or, you know, kind of, I feel that the music industry had one last chance and they've decided to do what they have done so many times before which is screw the fans. Yeah. <laughs> just any thoughts on that? Well, again, I, I wish there was a middle ground. And, and to an extent, it's, it's down to us to create it. Um, if we want to have a, a situation where it's not one of those two extremes, um, then we can do that. Uh, and your point about it not being an either or is, is very good. I think the, there are some great case studies out there. Um, one I think of is Nine Inch Nails. Nine Inch Nails genius at using uh, at using this stuff. Now they had a release quite a few years ago now, but uh, which I still think of as being as being uh, seminal in, in terms of how to do this. Where you could download, I think it was a double album. You could download the the low bitrate MP3 for free from their website. You click, or it's on Napster or whatever. But if you wanted the higher bitrate version, you had to pay a small fee. It was like five dollars or something, right? But if you wanted the second side of it, you had to pay. You know, they had tiers all the way up to the five hundred dollars box set only, and they did a thousand of those, right? And and they filmed every single one being signed by Trent Reznor, mm-hmm. which was fantastic because they're selling. You know, that's our funnel. It's not many people will be able to afford that, but they're selling yeah. intimacy, and those who can afford it can can say, well, this is worth it to me. And it's, it's, and, but they can choose to be somewhere else on that funnel. You're giving a range of options of ways sure. of interacting. Yeah. And I, I, th- I think that was just just wonderful. Um, another great example, and just looking at people who do an amazing job at this stuff, is uh, Above and Beyond. Um, I don't know if you know them. No, no I don't. Okay, so they're, uh, they're a fascinating uh, band. I, I highly recommend checking them out. They, they, <laughs> they have this double life, right? Um, they're known as a kind of, they're massive in the club world, okay? Mm-hmm. So they do gigantic kind of rave-type events and play in Ibiza and whatever. And uh, and they have huge dance floor anthems. But they're all fantastic conventional musicians. And then recently they did this thing, um, well, I say recently, about three or four years ago, they did this thing called Above and Beyond Unplugged or Acoustic. Above and Beyond Acoustic, I think it was. And they went to a hall, a really beautiful hall in London, and they performed the same songs on entirely acoustic instruments with a real string section and real brass and it was in the kind of i don't know it sounded like a lot of it sounded very kind of bond bond Mm theme very classic um 
just just classic lush arrangements fantastic stuff a friend a, a friend of ours was playing um was playing percussion percussion on those shows which is how I, I heard about it so suddenly this, these musicians who'd, who'd been working in one sphere said well actually we actually originally started off playing guitar and bass and, stuff, so, and we've now mm-hmm. suddenly rearranged it well they they they're entirely independent as far as i'm aware and their operation has been putting on they've been looking at where the money comes back in and one thing they recently did is they did a uh, thing called Anjuna Anjuna Beach, I think it was called. And it was in California. It was a it was effectively a, a beach weekend. It was it was a whole experience for their fans, including accommodation and everything. And yeah, it was in the kind of club area. But it, they were selling. They were thinking actually and putting together a whole package for people to really give them an experience. So mm-hmm. it wasn't just yet another bit of club music. It was if you were wanted to be in their world, in their sphere, uh, experiencing only things that people went there who were in their ecosystem would experience, then that's how you did it. And it wasn't, mm-hmm. it went, went really well for my gather. Um, that's, that's fascinating. I love, with the Nine Inch Nails example, I like the fact that they offered different levels. So you could go through that funnel and, and get to the level that yeah. that you could afford or you, you wanted to be involved, involved with. Yeah. Um, and I, I think that's pretty key. I think if it's uh, if it was only the I can listen to it on Spotify or I can buy the five hundred dollar box set, yeah, you know, there's lots of people in between there. But things like paying for high resolution, paying for um, you know, there are a lot of paying for experiences, as you say, um, you know, being able to go to sound checks or, or whatever it is that that incentivizes your fans. Totally. Well, uh, the way I'd look at that is that you know, you, for, in terms of the, what you're trying to achieve for the artist for the art you're trying to make it pay for itself but you're also trying to make it yeah. reach people and so yes. if you limit if you go if you go too far one way and say we're going to charge a million pounds out with one copy uh, yeah. you got the money back but you've only read one copy uh yeah so it's not really going to make the artist happy in terms of their reach and and their effect on the world we're trying to do things which where the the effort that the artists put in and the effort we put in because it's huge these, these projects uh you know, launching a record or an artist now is such an involved thing. It's not, you know, we don't do many cause for this reason. Um, mm-hmm. That that we, we're trying to make sure that it really pays off for them, and and that, and we really make a dent on the world. And when we, you know, when we, when it's the end of our days and we're looking back on what we did, that we're like, okay, we really impacted people, and we we mm-hmm. created music which is played at births, deaths, and funerals, and 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 you know, we we did stuff which mattered. We didn't, we weren't just yeah. It wasn't just for our mates, you know. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. To me, that's the role of art to to, to move people and to a sense, in a sense, moving people. Like when I was producing music, really bad reviews were almost as good as really good reviews. It was it was the reviews in the middle where it's like it's okay. Oh yeah, <laughs> those Absolutely. are the killers. Absolutely. Well, you know, going um, back to the Seth Godin's thing about um, uh, about purple cows mm-hmm. is. You know, uh, he, uh, he talks about the fact that being in the, in the middle of the bell, the bell curve is the most dangerous place to be with anything nowadays. Whether you're launching soap powder or a, or a record, uh, you you want to be to, to to be on the football field. You don't want to be average with the five million other people. You 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 want to have flashing pants, and that's an extreme position to be in. You know, you need to be the weirdest singer or the biggest or the this the something. There needs to be some superlative, even if it's the quietest. You mm-hmm. know. Um, and maybe recognizing that being the whatever it is, you know, the flashing trousers, <laughs> there'll only be a certain number of people that like flashing trousers. But but for those people, you're that person. And yeah, it's that kind of continuum 
in in life, you know, Brian Eno has this term axis thinking, which is kind of the grain between the black and the white. And mm. um, to me, that's where a lot of the interesting stuff goes on, where where it's a continuum rather than a um, you know a Spotify or a five hundred dollar box set or or a, yeah. you know. Um, Anyway, we could talk for hours and have done many times before, um, but uh, I ought to bring this to a close. And, and But before I do that, is there anything, any other area you'd like to cover or anything you'd like to say to finish? Yeah, I think uh, if I can just very briefly sum up the main um, guidance that, uh, if, if I can be of assistance by giving this to anybody, um, it's be humble, be humble in the face of the audience's uh, options, right? We have to justify our place in the world. And the days of um, bravado and swagger being enough to, you know, get our get us through the door of people's attention spans is, is not good enough. So it, it, I think if you naturally think through the experience they're going to have when they interact with your uh, advert or your video or your tweet or anything and, and whatever you decide to put out in the world if you think through you put yourself in their shoes and say okay why would i bother clicking on this why would would i think that what i saw on the far end would keep me engaged enough compared to watching game of thrones again right or whatever um and and is it genuinely as good right because we, we uh, that's the competition so if we can if we can think in those terms then you're then and then just work backwards, then you're in a great starting place. Everything else will kind of stem from that. But it does require getting rid of our ego as a starting point. That's all I'd say. So thanks very much, John. There's some been some really interesting stuff there. If people want to get in touch with you or find out more about what you're doing, what's the best way for them to do it? Um, probably the one I'm keeping up to date most is about.me forward slash John Cotton, J-O-N-C-O-T-T-O-N. That's always got my latest um, links and stuff on. But yeah, drop me a line if um, if you want to say hello. I'm always open to interesting people and ideas. And I'm sure that uh, uh, knowing uh, who who I've met through you in the past, Graham, I'm sure that a lot of your listeners would be um, people I'd be interested in having a coffee with sometime. Um, I'm based in, in Lisbon nowadays, but do get around when there isn't a pandemic going on. So uh, uh, yeah, say hello. All right. Thanks so much, John. Thanks for your time. And thanks for everyone listening's time. Please, as always, uh, tell us what you think. Comment on your uh, podcasting platform of choice. Leave us a rating. Uh, Give us suggestions about who you'd like us to be talking to. And please come back and listen to some more episodes. Bye.